great goal this morning is that we would confess Christ as Lord. Lord, to the glory of the Father, that we would walk in His truth, that we would know what He has said. This morning, if you don't have a sermon outline, we have some men that are going to come all the way forward, and they are going to give out some outlines to you. If you don't have one, please lift your hand the way we study the Bible. You will need that this morning, so just slip your hand up as we look at our greatest threats, our greatest threat as it comes to our walk with God and um, our relationship to Him. You know, we live in a world that is often very security-minded, very um, concerned about our safety. We live in a world that often has many threats to that. And this morning, I want us to kind of think about some of the things that we perceive as threats and concerns. One of those would be something that we've already spoken of this morning. It's how about coronavirus. Many of you have been aware of that threat and very concerned about that. We have something that we can't even see with our eye that threatens us so greatly. I don't know how in the world the finances of the world are operating right now. I don't know how the finances of America are operating. It's the strangest thing. And sometimes we look at that and we consider the threat of a downturn in the economy or maybe even a collapse or a crash. Sometimes when you see an image like that, that creates fear in you. And maybe even not only for your personal life, but also for us as Christians in our life, we, we look at any of these things as great threats to us. What about societal unrest on any number of issues, whether it be the environment or whether it be racism or whether it be economic injustices? There are many different things that drive people to the streets. Even right now, the, the hope for freedom for Venezuela and Cuba, different times in China different times in various other nations around the world where our society seems to be burning down and plagued with unrest. How about this next one? The threat of either political party that one may gather there, that one may perceive as a great threat. I know as evangelical Christians, we're very concerned about what's happening in our culture. And even in the last two weeks, the San Francisco gay choir uh, sang in a song virtually a Broadway style song that they made available and posted on the internet and I want you to listen to the words and some of us would say wow that seems like that's a threat you think we're sinful you fight against our rights you say we all lead lives you can't respect but you're just frightened, you think that we're, we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked. Funny, just this once, you're correct. We'll convert your children, happens bit by bit, quietly and subtly, and you will barely notice it. You can keep them from disco, you can warn them about San Francisco, make them wear pleated pants, we don't care. We'll convert your children, we'll make them tolerant and fair. Just like you worried they'll change their group of friends, you won't approve where they go at night. Oh, you'll be disgusted. Oh, it's so gross when they start finding things on light that you have kept from their sight. Guess what? You'll still be all right. 
We'll convert your children, reaching one and all. There's really no escaping it because even grandma likes Rapal. And world, the world's getting kinder, Gen Z's gayer than grinder. Learn to love, learn to vogue, face your fate. We'll convert your children. Someone's got to teach them. So, my friends, the, the words go on and on. It's a very real agenda. It was an agenda that for a long time was, was in hiding, but now is very, very public. And for some, you would say, oh, that is a great threat. While we are concerned about any one or, one or number of these things, our greatest threat is none of these things. Our greatest threat is found in 1 John chapter 2 in verse 15 through 17. This is the greatest threat of the Christian. This is the greatest threat for the church. This is what we need to pay attention to as we study. And I want to go ahead and read our lead passage before we remember its context. But notice there in 1 John, at the bottom of the box that you have on your page in front of you, it's verse 15, 16, and 17. Here is the greatest threat, and John, the Apostle John, is laying out to us what we are not to do as the greatest threat. Number 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, underline it, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I want us to see this morning how this is the threat that can take away and to steal, that can steal away, that can, that can come and erode the faith that perhaps one has begun with, or it can be the thing that keeps someone from coming to faith that God has called. Let's remember a little bit this section. Let's review for just a moment. Remember that in this section, the Apostle John focuses on God's love commandment. This is God's love commandment amidst a sinful world where darkness and the evil one seem to dominate. So John is writing to the churches that are spread across at the end of the first century. So they've been going for about 60 years, many of them. And he's writing to them some very important issues. Number one, he wants them to remember that God is light and in him is no darkness whatsoever. That God is pure and righteous and holy and true. But then we want to see that he is also writing to them about very important issues that are lacking in the church. And one of the things that he sees as a problem in the church of his day is that the people are not truly loving one another as they should. That there's division and there's maybe even hatred within the church. There's different types of groups meeting together, coming together as Christians, and maybe some are rich and some are poor, maybe some are free and some are slaves, maybe some are Jews and some are Gentiles, non-Jews, maybe some are from one ethnicity but not another ethnicity, whatever it may be, some follow different teachers that have been influential to them, and so what the Apostle John is saying to them is, look, 
the commandment, the commandment that you've had from the beginning is to love God and to love each other. And if you don't have that, you don't have God. See, there's many people that would love to show up at a church on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday of their life and go on not obeying the first and the second commandment. The first commandment to love God, the second commandment is to love one another. And there are churches that will let that go unchecked for decades in someone's life. You remember with me that cultural Christianity will take you where? It will take you where? That's right. It will take you merrily to hell. But biblical Christianity is the message of God, the true message of God that says that who you really are in me is what matters. And what, what you do in practicing your faith is what truly reveals the validity and the veracity of your faith. And so we look and we see that this is this whole section about what to love and what not to love. Now, it's easy, notice the next point here, it's easy to lose sight of the basics of knowing the God who is love. That's why John is writing this. We can lose sight. And we see this throughout Jesus' teaching, and we see this throughout the rest of the New Testament writers. They are writing about this important, this important issue of God's love and loving God and loving others that over and over again we have to be reminded Notice there, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, under that second point. Let's read 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 together. Are you ready? Let's read it together. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God. No matter how much they come to church, no matter how much they give, no matter what kind things that they do for the people that they like. If we have a lack of love within our heart, we do not know God. You see, this section, this whole section, verses 15 through 17, fill it in here, this section has multiple functions for us. It's a reminder of the things that God has always said to us. God has always said to us to love Him, to love God, and to love others. We see that in Deuteronomy 6.5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Leviticus 19.18, we see love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Matthew chapter 22, we see Jesus bring both of those together and say the whole law, the whole Old Testament hangs on these two things, to love God and to love the people that are around you. So it's a reminder and failure to love either of these means what? You don't know God. Fill that in. We need to be very clear about that. If you hate your brother, Pastor Lucas preached on this two weeks ago. If you hate your brother, you're not a Christian. If you have hatred in your heart towards someone, an individual, or toward a, a group of people, Let's be real clear. You're not going to heaven. You're not going to go to heaven. That's what this is clearly saying. We are called to lay down our hatred of others. If we hate someone, the love of God does not abide within our hearts. And so you need to think real hard and real fast about that and real long about that. 
You need to be very careful to evaluate your life and your heart and say, is there the sin of hatred of others in my heart? You say, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they're like. I understand there's wicked and evil things, but Jesus himself said, I have come to love the enemies, to lay down my life for the enemies that I have. And you are called to follow in my footsteps. So these are part of the hard words of Jesus. These are part of the hard words of the New Testament. And these are part of words that very often churches in cultural Christianity have overlooked and not mentioned, have maybe glossed over the I'm okay, you're okay religion. But you, church family, we need to recognize that the words of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament They are very clear on this issue, that we are called to be people who love those that are around us based upon the love that has been shown to us. You see, this this section not only is a reminder to us, it is an encouragement because these are hard words. You know, the Bible, I'm so thankful, um, the Lord said to Moses, Moses, these commandments that I'm giving you are not too difficult for you. I will be with you. I will do this in you. Um, In Galatians 2.20 it says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Stephanie just quoted that in her testimony. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And listen to this. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's how I do what he's called me to do. That's how I love the person who hurt me. That's how I love the person that I disagree with. That's how I love the person who hates me. You see, so it's an encouragement. And um, uh, TJ did such a great job with that passage last week. Remember with me, verses 12 and 13 and 14, he writes to the little children. Twice he uses each one of these. And the, the idea of little children is the whole church. But then he goes to the fathers. That's the ones who are more mature. And then he goes to the young men. Those are the ones who are new. And he encourages everyone, everyone together and everyone who is in different stages of life. Look at verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And then he circles back. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. You see, we need the encouragement for the realities of what God has called us to. Then we come to this section that we study this morning. It is a correction. It is a correction for those who have started to love the world. It is a correction for those who have ceased from loving God as first and primary in their life, but begin to recognize that there's things around them that they they love, or maybe they've kind of grown up with those affections, and John is calling that out. So it's a correction of what we love and desire in this life, and it is a warning that we could be self-deceived. When the Bible warns us, 
we need to be very, very careful to listen to it. So let's flip the page and go up there and look at our main passage. And let me read it once again. I want you to see it because we, we want this to be really internalized to us. Notice in the box on the top, top of the second page, that box, second, or first, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, now he clarifies what that is, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you have a New American Standard or perhaps a King James, it doesn't say the desires, it says the lust. So the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the New American Standard says boastful pride of life is not from the Father, what does it say? but is from where? The world. Verse 17. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this statement of do not love the world, this is our greatest threat, is that we would love the world that has fallen and broken and rebelling against God. Now, first of all, let's look at that first word that is said there, do not love the word love is referring to affection and devotion. When you love something, you like it. You have an affection for it. It, it. it ignites something in you. And not only that, but you also become devoted to it. The devotion has to do with your will. That it, it owns your will now. It's, it's of your votive. It's, that's how we used to to even term the, the political process of voting. We cast our will. And so we see this, that it's, it's both an emotional response and it's a response of the intellect and the commitment of our will. That's what it means to love something. And here we see in verse 15, it says, do not love the world. Now the Greek word here is the word cosmos, and that's used in several different ways. If you Look at the way the cosmos or the cosmos is used. It can refer to the planet Earth and the universe, all of that which is part of the order. It can also mean planet Earth and its people. I believe that that's what John 3.16 is talking about. For God so loved the cosmos, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's everyone. He loved all that are here. And not only that, but we see in the scripture that he is going to restore all things. So it's not only just the people, but it's even the earth that he is going to restore. But notice here, specifically we see in the word the, the idea of specifically the lost people. So not only the world in general, but lost people. Sometimes when we're talking about the world, we're talking about lost people, those who have not been saved, those who have not come to faith in Jesus Christ. But then we come to the final one that I believe that it's talking about here. The world is referring to the fallen, sinful, temporal, by the word temporal we mean temporary, temporal actions, values, and obsessions of lost people. You see, we, we would say of lost people because saved people are not to have these. That's part of what we're seeing in this whole command is don't love 
the world. And for those who have come to faith in Jesus, that is to be being cleaned out of us. That Jesus has come to set us free from those things. So these may be characteristic of lost people, but they're not to be characteristic of those that have been redeemed. And so when we talk about the world, we're talking about the things of the world, and that's even what it says here. Look in verse 16, it says, for all that is in the world, and then you see that dash, dash. That's, that's an English attempt at capturing the Greek structure here that is a structure that is seeking to define what has just been said. So all that is in the world, that is the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father. So this is talking about that which is fleshly in verse 16. Fill that in. This is the things that are from the flesh. These are the things that it's not only having to do with sexuality. It may have to do with other sensations that, that we become addicted to. There's, there's many different ways that that can happen. There can be the thrill of an experience. There can be, there can be a, a substance that causes this. There can be numerous other things that can, that can be in your life that you gain a hit from it. You gain a sense of satisfaction from it. It can be pride. It can be um, exerting influence over someone else. It can be um, harmful. It can be uh, one of the things that may even be helpful, but you do it for the wrong reasons and that it becomes a fleshly thing for you. See, so the picture is here that all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, not only that, we also see that it's not from God. And we see that at the end of verse 16. Underline that part there in the box on the top of your page where it says, in the end of verse 16, it says, is not from the Father, but is from the world. We have to recognize that these fallen, sinful, temporal actions, values, and obsessions are not from God. Look at verse 17. And the world is doing what? What is it doing? It's passing away along with its desires, along with its lusts. It's temporary. Fill that in. It's temporary. So it's fleshly. It's not from God, and it's not going to last. The world lives its life. Very often, people in the world are living for this moment. We were traveling over the last couple of weeks, as you know, and there's been several times where Marcy just has said, you know, we, we kind of marvel at something sometimes, something that somebody's just so impressed with or something they've built and they think it's so great or, or whatever else. Um, maybe it's even an issue of sin, just outright sin that is really um, flaunted, that's, that's made very verbose. I, I saw one of the most vile um, t-shirts while we were traveling. I, I just couldn't believe that it was even legal for that to be on the t-shirt in public. I mean, I, I was just thinking, you know, just no shame, nothing there, you know, just the, the, the vileness of it. And um, Marcy just said, has said over and over again, she said, Andrew, this is, their, this is their best life. This is all they're thinking about right now. They're not thinking about what's next. They're not thinking about what's after this. They're just looking at what's passing away. They're holding on to what's passing away. They have no hope. 
They have nothing better. So when we look at this, there's two ways to, to talk about loving the world. Is it, is it ever bad to say, man, I just, I have such a love for the world? Well, I believe that that's an okay thing to say because God says it. Notice these two to ones. You can have a love for the lost that prays and works for their redemption. In fact, that's what God does. Look at John 3, 16. Let's read that first line that is there out loud. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's exactly what the gospel is. He, he loves the world. Well, we are to love the lost in this regard. We are to love the people of the world that we would pray and work for their redemption. God has given us much work to do in this regard. But notice what this passage is actually talking about. This passage is not talking about a love for the world that is concerned for them. This is talking about a love for the lost that approves and joins them in their evil. And that is what this scripture is saying, don't do. This scripture is saying, do not come and join them in their desires. Do not come and join them in their actions and in their values. Romans chapter 1 is a beautiful expose of the condition of the sinful heart without Christ, and it describes toward the end of the chapter, look what it says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 32, it says, and they not only do them, a long list of sins, they not only do them, but underline it, but give approval to those who practice them. You see, this is the wicked. These are the ones who are unredeemed. This is not the way Christians live. So let me just say to you, Christians are called to not approve of those things or to give our tacit approval or to, listen to this, be entertained by them. You know, as the darkness increases concerning the entertainment in our world today, I hope that it's causing you to just shed it. To just shed it and say it's not worth it. It's not even worth it. I hope you're not toying and playing with all the storylines that are becoming so prevalent in our world today. It's just not worth it. You see, you can lose your soul over this. These are the things that will either show that you are of God or you are of the world. It is impossible for you to sit hour after hour after hour being indoctrinated with the values of the world and remain unchanged in your heart toward God. And that's what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about do not love the things of the world. So a question comes up with, well, how do you know what you love? How do you know what you really love? Well, let's, let's think about that for a few moments. I've been thinking a lot about that this week, and I I want to help you flesh that out a little bit. I want to help you really think through that a little bit. First of all, and this is not an exhaustive list, list, but I believe that this um, can shed light and help you shed light on the things that you love. First of all, do you think about it? Do Do you think about the issue? You know, what do you think about? What do you really think about? What do you maybe even daydream about? 
What do you think long and hard? Do you talk about it? What are the things that you talk about? When you, when you have the opportunity, when you really like to talk about something, what do, you, what do you like to talk about? What do you get excited about? Do you get excited about it? I mean, the things that you get excited about are, are maybe revealing something. How about this one? Do you obsess over it? Do you, that means do you think a lot about it? You kind of can't get away from it. And what are the things that you sacrifice for? Do you, do you forego certain things? Do you, do you sacrifice financially? Do you sacrifice in time? Do you sacrifice in effort or in comfort for it? Do you defend it? Fill that one in. Do you defend it? Find yourself making reason for it or even excuse for it? Do you return to it? Is it the kind of thing that you keep coming back to, you keep coming back to, maybe even if you don't want to? Do you learn about it? You know, it's amazing. There's, there's some things that, um, as part of an obsession or as part of something that we love, we, we know all about it. You know, you can, you can talk to, it's just amazing how you can come along, you can be bumping along through life with a friend or whatever, and you touch on something that they just know all about. That's because somewhere along the way, it was of great interest to them, and they learned a great deal about it. Do you work for, at, or on it all the time? Do you work at it? Do you work for it? Do you work on it? How about this? Do you allow it to control you? Does it control you? That very often is something that you come back and you would say, I love this. This is part of the picture of this. How about this? Do you either privately hoard it or publicly share it? You see, what I want us to think broadly for just a moment, when we think about this list a little bit, think about the things that you love in this life. Now, what's funny about this is we, we are notoriously um, um, positive about our own heart and our own life. We are notoriously prone to give ourselves a pass, right, and to judge ourselves um, really lightly. So my question is not what do you say that you would love so much? But my question may be this, and notice this, based on the above behaviors, what are the things that others or other people would say you love? If you were to ask your wife, if you were to ask your husband, if you were to ask your children, kids, what would you say are the things that your dad really loves? What are the things that you like? I heard one of the children here say, me. <laughs> that's good it's okay to love some things we want to be very clear about that as we go here but there's it would be interesting to say and to see what are the things that you get excited about what are the things that you talk about what are the things that you defend what are the things that you return to what are the things that you know about because these well can reveal the things that you love. Now, I've been trying to answer that question a little bit um, without asking Marcy yet. But this afternoon, I'm going to ask Marcy, Marcy, what are the things that you would say I love? 
and I want her to answer honestly about that. She says me. That's good. That's a good start. Fill this in. What eternal things occupy your mind, heart, resources, and time? What eternal things occupy your mind, your heart, your resources? That means everything that you have in your time. What eternal things? I I think you ought to list them. I hope that you have some. Maybe you don't. How about this one? What temporal things occupy your mind, your heart, your resources, and time? You see, this isn't the end of the sermon necessarily here, but we're asking some questions here that we would typically wait till the end to apply, but I, I want you to notice some things before we do that. So I think you need to look at the eternal things in your life and the temporal things in your life, and then you need to also evaluate how much How much do I love the eternal things versus how much do I love the temporal things? I mean, where does my time go? Where does my reputation go? Where does my effort go? Where does my money go? How does your investment in each of these compare to the other? Now, let me just say that, you know, there's a lot of different things that we can love in our life. And there's some things that we should love, and there's some things that we shouldn't love. And in the gray box there on the page, I want us to recognize this, that the fleshly foolishness that this passage is really pointing to should be what? Rejected. This is all of the stupid stuff that you look at and and you just say, that is so ungodly. That is an abuse of the human body. And that that can be, I mean, when I, I don't know what it was, while we were away, I saw some um, news thing that came up and I, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I mean, when the Kardashians come on, That's like, okay, that's like, you know, just the whole life that's lived in these things. What is the the life that is pursuing what what you see with your eyes, what you experience with your body, you know, the the whole thinking of the world and and all of the train of that. That there's There's a whole mindset, but it doesn't just have to be about the appearances and the vanity of of fleshly appearance. Maybe it can be from Wall Street. Maybe it can be from Bloomberg. Maybe it can be from when you start to look at all of the other aspects of our life. doesn't have to do with physical flesh, but it, maybe it has to do with the things of this world and the securities of this world. Obsessed with this. How about this one? Sinful vices. Sinful vices should be exposed. These are the things of the world that come and destroy and that get down deep into our heart, the anchors that hold back the things for which Christ died. Now, the best thing to do with a vice is to expose it and then also to abandon it. And you cannot do that in your own strength. You need the help of God and others. That's why it needs to be exposed. In James chapter 5, we are told, confess your sins one to another that you may find healing. In Psalm 51, the psalmist cries out to God. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
So I will declare what I have done. You see, this is the idea of exposing it, not only to yourself, but to others. I was on the phone this week with um, a dear friend of mine whose um, parents are dealing with alcoholism. And um, the alcohol is destroying their family. And, and it's, just, it's just ripping them apart. Night after night, things are said that should never be said. Things are done that should never be done. And the values that some claim to have that, that are fleshed out in the most wicked and ungodly ways. These vices, this way of the world. This is not the way of Christ. How about this one? I'm going to really step on toes now. What about personal hobbies? Personal hobbies should be evaluated. Personal interests should be evaluated. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But, you know, with the things that we really love, the things that we spend our time on that are maybe of this world, I mean, can a Christian ever have a hobby? Well, we want to answer that in just a moment. Things of this world. How about this one? Common pitfalls should be tweaked. Common pitfalls falls should be tweaked. You may want to make a couple of notes under this. The common pitfalls of things that should be okay, but that can turn into a pitfall, like your job. It is a godly thing to have a job and to work. If a man won't work, neither should he eat. I mean, we see that the, the ethic of the Bible concerning work is, is very important. And so, we should work, but what about when we work too much? What about when we are obsessive about our work? What about when we work to the neglect of other important things? What about when we begin to worship our work? We live for our work. What about our savings? Should we save? Yes, we should save. But what about when we become obsessive about our savings? What about when we love to save, and we, we love to save so much that our frugality turns into greediness and a lack of generosity? You see, it becomes an idol. It becomes not just, it, so this is a common pitfall. What, what about having a clean house? Now, Marcy loves to have a clean house. She's a floor freak, to be honest with you. The floor has always got to be clean, and I'm thankful for that in many ways. And both of us like things to generally be neat and clean and so forth. But, you know, there's been times when I've gone into people's house, and I'm afraid to walk. I'm afraid to sit out. I'm afraid to, lo- I'm afraid to look at something. I may break it. I mean, I, I have one friend that said, my parents live in a museum. You would think everything in there is priceless. And see, so what, what might be good is being responsible and being, you know, being uh, careful with what we've been given, taking care of what we've been given. The pitfall of that is to become obsessive with that. Now, some of you need a little bit more obsession in that. the issue of order, or the issue of other responsibilities in life. You see, there's, there's many different things that these things can become things that we love or that we are in bondage to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a couple of others here that you may want to jot down. What about fears? Did you know that some people love their fear? They're devoted to it. 
they feel most comfortable when they're talking about it. And they live in their fear. What about the issue of their troubles? They're obsessed with their troubles. They think about their troubles. They, they continue and they, they get excited about their troubles and they defend their troubles. I mean, there's, how about the world's troubles? By that I mean the news. There's some, and I may tell you that that's one for me, that I have to be very careful about that. I, I care about what's going on in the world. I care about what's going on in society. I, I want to judge those things based upon what I see in the Scripture. But if I'm not careful, I can allow all of the news and the perspective of the media of the world to overwhelm the perspective of God in my life. And that is loving the world. Let's flip the page. Concerning the sinful things. So these are not the things that are like good, like your savings or your clean house or your job or whatever. But concerning the sinful things of the world, let's run to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. This is an important passage for this. I want us to see this. You know, I don't know if you've fallen in love with the book of Colossians, but I want to encourage you to go fall in love with the book of Colossians. It is gloriously helpful. But look what it says here in verse 1. If then, if then you have been raised with Christ. Look what it says. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your things on the things that are, what does it say there above? It says above, not what? The things on the earth. Look what it says in the reason. Look at verse 3. Look what it says. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You see it saying, don't keep focusing on the things that are passing away. Focus on where you're going to be for eternity. Now look at the next part, verse 5. Christians are called to put to death that which is what? Earthly. Put to death that which is earthly in you. And here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is, look what it says, idolatry. Verse 6, on account of these things the wrath of God is coming. You see, this, this, is, this is going to be judged. Look at verse 7. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, verse 10, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of after the image of its creator, verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, read it out loud, but Christ is all and in all. And so this is the great picture of we are called to completely put away and abandon love for the things of this world. What about the things that are not so clearly like in that list? 
What about the non-sinful things? I'll save this. The amoral things. Well, here's two guide verses for us that can help us greatly. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Look at verse 20. For you were bought with a price. What was the price? The innocent life of Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God himself. You were bought with a price. And then look what it says, the underlying part, so glorify God in your body. That's what John is going after. John is going after us not loving the things of the world, but live in this life in such a way that we are glorifying God, that we are exalting God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, look what it says, do all to the glory of God. So our lives are to be lived in such a way that while we are in this life, while we are on this earth, that all that we are is glorifying to God. And that's, that's his grand purpose for us. In a very specific way, he shows us how to do that, to be a part of what his kingdom is doing and not building our own kingdom apart from his. So here's that question. Do you have a helpful hobby or an interest, what I call a helpful hobby or interest, or do you have a sinful hobby or an interest? And this, this, is, this is just assuming that it's not part of the obvious sinful things that would be there. So maybe, maybe it's for you, it's, it's uh, stamp collecting. Um, so how, how many of you have ever collected stamps? I, I've always heard about people who collect stamps. I've hardly met many people who collect stamps. Occasionally I've seen that. It's pretty cool. It's very, very interesting. You know, when we think about hobbies, we, we immediately go to like stamp collection, uh, crochet. You know, we immediately start talking about hobbies. When I was a kid, it was building model airplanes. You know, I love to build model airplanes. But, but, but maybe it's following, following the NFL, or maybe it's following um, the NBA, or maybe it's following various other aspects of sport. There's many, many different hobbies. It may, maybe it's hiking. My daughter loves to hike, and I love to hike with her. We, we, we go, and we, we climb mountains together, and we walk through streams, and we see things, and we, we, we enjoy hiking. For some of you, it's fishing. You say, well, pastor, what could ever be wrong with fishing? I mean, we, we see that the, the disciples were fishermen. For some of you, it's woodworking, even better. Eli, Jesus was a carpenter, right? So, I mean, what could be, what could be wrong with carpentry? If you ever go to Eli's house, you see his garage, and he has a beautiful workshop. And um, we have other guys that are like that. And I remember back in the day, Marcy would get together with all the women, and they would take all of our family photos, and they would make these beautiful books. And they, they had drawers and drawers and drawers of stickers and templates and all kinds. Of, what, did, what did you guys call that? Creative disasters? No, creative. What was it? Oh, creative memories. Okay, yeah. Um, I think half of my retirement, the first 15 years of our life, went to those people at Creative Memories. But, you know, so um, we, we just, we can have many, many different types of hobbies. It can go on a wide spectrum of things, but how do we know whether that is helpful or whether it is sinful? I think the first question to ask yourself is, number one, does it cause your heart to exalt God? 
Or does it exalt yourself or the world? What are you exalting? What does it mean to exalt, to lift up? What are you magnifying? What are you glorifying? So does your hobby cause you to exalt God, or is it purely about you? Or is it purely about the world? Because you're investing time, you're investing passion, you're investing resources, you're investing maybe money. What does your hobby cause you to exalt? Number two, does it refresh and edify you? The word edify means to build up. Does it refresh and edify you or does it deplete and empty you? That's an important question. If you're going to evaluate your interests, if you're going to evaluate your hobbies, does it refresh you and renew you? Now, some people would say, I mean, I, I know that Bob Ritchie loves to run. Some of y'all met Bob Ritchie, retired Air Force pilot. He told me yesterday, he came and he worked on the building a little bit, and I think he flew back to uh, Texas this morning. But Bob said, I said, what are you going to do this afternoon? He goes, I'm going to go run 12 miles. I said, you're going to go run 12, this, this, Bob's 70 years old, and he's going to go run 12 miles. And he said, yeah, I'm getting ready for a marathon next week. And he's wearing a t-shirt, and he says, look, I won this one for my age group in Austin, Texas. Now, I kind of know Bob, and, and I know that he just loves to run, and I know that he enjoys that. And um, Bob, if you're watching this, I, I hope that you'll evaluate this based upon whether you're glorifying God with your running. But, you know, I just think, wow, when Bob runs, sure, he's tired afterwards, but that's one of the things that helps his health. It strengthens him. It, it ultimately edifies him. It refreshes him. So, but there's, there's some things that we can devote ourselves to that deplete us, and that when we get done with it, we feel guilty. When we get done with it, we know we've done the wrong thing. When we get done with it, we have nothing to show for it. We know that it's a waste. We know that it's just gone. When you evaluate your hobbies, when you evaluate your life, is there, is there a redeeming value in what you're doing that's true? I'm not talking about you just really stretching it. I'm talking about is there, is there a clear devotion to the things that are ultimately giving glory to God with your life? Because that's what the whole Bible describes our lives are for. Giving glory to God. Spiritually, physically, emotionally. How about this one? Number three, this is a good evaluator. Does it point others to Christ? Does it point others to the goodness of God? Are the things that you're investing your life in, is it ultimately being used? Because, friends, that is what we've been told to do. We have been told to bring others to Jesus. That's the most important thing that we exist for on this planet, is to give him glory and to bring people to him. Are you bringing people to Jesus with what you do with your life? I think about Al Stahl, who's running the project right now where we have one of our young men there in southern France. When I think about Al and Lynn Stahl, I think about a couple that what they love to do is to live their lives on mission, sharing the gospel, sharing Bibles, sharing the scripture with Muslim people who don't know the truth. They live their lives to tell Muslims about a Savior who died for them. 
There's nothing that brings them more joy. When we would show up and we'd say, yeah, we're going to take a day off or we're going to go do this or we're going to go do that, Al would be like, okay. You mean we're not going out? And say, you, know, he, 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 you know, I would have to drag him sometimes out to get a break and to get a little bit of rest. But, I mean, that was the passion of his heart. Do we have a passion for the things of God and that we would be living as Christ has called us to live? I want you to notice here at the end what we, wanna, what we just want to see is this verse brings it all home. Our greatest concern and interest should be the worship and love of God. That's what you were created for. You were not created to worship and love the world. You were not created to worship and love yourself. Some of you are experiencing great misery in your life because that's what you've been entrapped with. That you keep looking for what is going to make you happy instead of what is going to bring glory to God. And so long as you continue to chase the elusive picture of your self-fulfilled happiness, you are going to miss out on the great joy of living for the purpose you were created, which is to worship and to love God. The Westminster Confession, written in 1647, the very beginning of this statement of faith, the very beginning of this catechism, it begins with this, question number one is this, what is the chief end of man? That means what is the purpose of man? Answer number one is this, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The Westminster Confession gets it right. The Westminster Confession really succinctly begins in the right place, saying that we are not to love the world. We are not to love the things that are passing away. But we are to devote our lives to the great glory of God and to find our hedonistic, divine, as John Piper would say, our Christian hedonism, our Christian desire and fulfillment in him. Hanging above the dining room table in my house as a kid growing up was this statement. Only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. That's what John is saying. Look at the top of the page. Don't fold it over. Look, look at the top of the page. Read the passage. Look what it says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from God, is not from the Father, but is from the world. In verse 17, here it is. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's stand together as we pray. Father in heaven, there are some obvious things that your Holy Spirit 
has touched in our hearts over the last few moments that we know that we need to expose and abandon. There are some obvious things that we know we need to reject. There are storylines and hours of entertainment that need to change. Lord, there are things that you are convicting us to let go of. Some things that aren't even right or wrong, but just are not, Lord, your will for us, which would make them wrong. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who listen carefully to your word when it says, do not love the world. Do not love the values of the world. Do not love the obsessions that a world without God promote. Lord, the media is strong. The commercials are powerful. Lord, the pop-ups all around us are there. The billboards, the radio, the television, the thinking of the world, the conversations in every imaginable aspect of our life, Lord, can pull us away from the things that you say are most important. Father, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would be moving and working in us and that, Lord, that this week that we would really evaluate, do we love the world? Lord, that we would take serious consideration and evaluation of what we spend our time, our money, our emotion on, that, Lord, that we would be careful to say, Lord, just you. We want to be obedient to you. Lord, I'm thankful that um, the most fulfilling life that we can have is being obedient to you. I'm thankful that there's no sport, there's no little hobby, there's no craft, Lord, there's no photography, there's no hike that can replace, Lord, honoring you and being walking in step with you. So Lord, I, I pray that you would help us with this. I pray that we would be a people who live with eternity on our minds and on our hearts and that we would be ready the day our heart stops to stand before you and Lord, that we would not be ashamed either at your appearing or that at our going to you. In the glorious and wonderful name of Jesus, we ask that you would do this work in our hearts. Amen. Let's sing together.